All right, everyone, welcome back to the Left of Straight Show Interviews, the premier podcast that shares the stories of our amazing LGBTQ community and, of course, fantastic straight allies, all from entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy. I'm your host, as always, Scott Fullerton, so let's start talking. All right, guys, welcome to Left of Straight Show. Today, I dive into the life and work of an influential figure in the entertainment industry. He stands as an ally to our LGBTQ community. I'm so thrilled to have Andrew Baird, a distinguished film director known for his unique cinematic vision and storytelling, in studio with me today. Andrew's made a significant mark with films like Zone 414 and One Way, and he's here to talk about his new release, Sunrise, a vampire horror movie. Let's take a look. You don't believe in the right code, son? It's a story made up to scare kids. Oh, he's out there, son. Waiting for you. We got a distress call. Leo and your wife screaming. Guess you got no reason to be here, Deputy Fallon. You're a peace-loving, reasonable man. But we ain't. The red coat. He's primal. We feed him. He's out there, deep in the forest. So what do we do? We came out. Do you drink human blood? You offer him. What if he's the red coat? And you know what he feeds on? Blood. Fear. No. 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 I think it's best you be on your way. Stop! 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 I want that bitch out of here. What happened? There was blood. And that's soil. Come on out! What happened to you? You need to take your family. You need to leave. Trust me. What do I want? He took the family. The fields are dying. The land done turned its back on us. It's like we've been poisoned. And we're left with fear. You ain't welcome here. All right, we are back. Andrew Baird, welcome to Let's a Straight Show. How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I am doing amazing. I'm so excited to have you on the show, and thank you so much for letting me see a screener of your new movie. Um, I got to say, when I was doing my research, I had not seen your previous films. I went out and rented... Um, Zone 414 and you, the other one, so at the uh, with Machine Gun One Way, One Way was absolutely amazing, and I just love the futuristic feel of Zone 414. Fantastic filmmaking, sir. 
Thank you very much. I'm glad you liked them. I, I thought it was great. I mean, talk about your journey into the film industry. You have a very diverse background. Your conceptual design and art direction, art production, definitely contributes to a distinct style in filmmaking. What kind of made you go to the director route? Well, I always wanted to make movies. I mean, um, but it, the the way in for me was was in the art direction and design and the world building. So, and I saw that with Ridley Scott and with Terry Gilliam two real really influential filmmakers on me and um so i love the creation of the worlds but then now what i love most is the creation of the characters so it's like you know i really pick scripts based on characters you know characters that i can really work with and cast and follow and then the world gets you know, built around them, you know, um, the I characters love that. Sure. With everything. Yeah. Yeah. So because the world building is kind of sec, it's kind of second nature to me. Um, so I did it so much when I was, um, a designer. So, but I have, I have great relationships with the production designers I work with now. It's great, you know, um, but there's a real kind of, shorthand they know i've done it before and i know i know the ins and outs of what it takes to build these worlds and um so i'm able to kind of be very efficient and maximize the resources that we have available to us i um, love that mm-hmm yeah, it's so cool. I mean, you could see that with Zone 414. You definitely were world building there, and you can see the progression into your other films there. Um, I love, I mean, the first film compared to like Blade Runner, it, to me, it kind of reminded me of a Westworld meets, and believe it or not, coming from an LGBTQ background, I kind of had, I just talked to uh, an actor and director the other day for a new film called You Can't Stay Here that was based on Al. Uh, Al Pacino's cruising and this has those same kind of cop elements for it it has a kind of a seedy underbelly where you have the cop infiltrating it so very much that along with the world building so I thought zone 414 is very interesting great so what did you think of sunrise what did you compare it to what did it remind you of Sunrise for me, because I'm not a typical horror movie fan, and um, I, I've i become, get a lot of friends lately, Sam Irvin and Michael Verratti have done a lot of horror lately, and I kind of told them I wasn't into horror, but they said horror doesn't necessarily mean blood and guilt slasher, it kind of means that it's just gives you that edge of your seat suspense, and that's kind of what I felt um, with almost like in a different way, Amityville back in the day where you kind of had that more suspense than the blood and guts, even though there was some of that, but you had that suspense building, which is what I really loved about it. Good. And what movies did it remind you of? Uh, like I said, kind of an Amityville for me. I think it was very much um, reminiscent. It has almost like... Sam, like I said, Sam Irvin's a good friend of mine. He does, he was a, um, Brian De Palma was a mentor of his. And Sam does a lot of kind of shots like that. It had kind of some of Brian's um, movie elements to it. I think there was a lot of different diverse elements that kind of reminded me of a lot of things, to be honest. Cool. 
Uh, I was very much taken with, um, I, I love how visual things happen. I mean, but um, the tatteredness of the coat kind of showing age, I love, I, like I said, I went into it with no expectations. So I didn't really know what the film was even about starting in. And just the scene where um, the young man goes into the room and he's kind of cowering in the corner away from the sunlight kind of started giving me the clue of it. I thought it was built very slowly and very well into bringing that suspense. Cause I honestly had no idea what it was about at first. Very good. Um, how is it working with guy again for a second time? Was was there a shorthand involved there? What brought, I mean, he doesn't play that many bad guys. He plays a lot of intense characters, but this, so you can definitely be categorized as a bad guy. How was this for you guys to work together on something of that level? It was really great. Uh, there was a trust built from zone. So there's a lot of, you know, freehand and we were able to really kind of experiment and, particularly experiment a lot with Alex as well um, and just kind of um, just roll with it and build these really interesting characters in these this pretty unusual situation. And the story makes such great use of kind of like the um, looking backwards and, and checking out the different time periods in there. Was that intentionally in the script? Was that part of your filmmaking choices? Talk about looking uh, looking back like that. Um, just ask, sorry, just run that question by me again. Oh, when you have all the flashback scene, was that written into the script, the flashbacks? I love the use of time in it. Was that yes. originally in the script or was that a directing choice for you or talk about um, how those scenes came to play? No, that, that was always there. That was in the script. Um, so, you know, that was the reveal, right, of what happened to this guy. Um, that was tricky. That was a tricky thing to pull off. Um but what happened was, was uh, guy, uh, Alex was going to have a beard and he showed up to the shoot with no beard. <laughs> and it's like, man, and I think because he with the next movie he was doing was uh, it's Guy Ritchie's new movie. It's a World War Two. Oh, yeah. Men on a movie. Um, and uh, anyway, he it probably has something to do with that but he said anyway he turns up with no beard so i can't remember but it was like it was tricky we had to because we had to make him look um much younger in the flashbacks so i hope we pulled it off okay um but it would definitely it was a technically and logistically it was tricky because it's also the last thing I ever want is to use fake beards and stuff. They're just dreadful. So, um, but anyway, that the, the flashbacks were always in the movie. If that was your question, they were always there and they were necessary. Well, they came out very well. I mean, it definitely, I think there is a, a 10 year gap that you can see. Alex has that definitely younger face in the flashbacks. And it, I, I just love the slow reveal of it. It wasn't like something all at once we got early on. We kind of got bits and pieces of what he was seeing as it came around. So I just thought it was very artfully done. It, it was amazing. Great. Okay. Wonderful. I'm glad you, I'm glad it worked. Because there was a bit hit or miss at the time. It was like, can we pull this off? Uh, but yeah. 
No, I think it was very believable. I think the 10 years came across very believable in it. And I talk about how Guy Pierce is playing kind of this bad guy, but the scariest character in the movie is actually his mom. I mean, talk about finding her. Have you worked with her before? That was kind of an amazing piece of acting there as well. I was scared to death of her. Yeah, initially in the script, Reynolds had a father and I changed it to a mother. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, and I did it. I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I thought the mother would be more insidious, but also it allowed me to cast Alwyn Fuere again, who I worked with on Zone. Okay, so Alwyn's an amazing um, Irish actress, done a lot of work around the world. She's international, does lots of, uh, she was in Mandy with Nick Cage and uh, she's done a lot. She, Alwyn's just an extraordinary kind of artist, um, perform, performance artist. And um, so then Alwyn wanted to play the character as a male. And I was like, no, 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 I want you to be female, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny in Zone, we had the role she played in Zone where she was the Madame of the Zone initially that was a male character as well and wow. uh, we changed it to a female so Alwyn could play it and then with Sunrise again it was a male changed to a female but but I wanted Joe Reynolds to have that relationship with his mom versus his father because I just thought it was more insidious it was more toxic um, right uh, and I, it, it, it is, and that's what I wanted. And then obviously then I was able to, to work again with Alwyn. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, uh, I think I like, I like her performance in the movie. I, I think she's an integral part of the tone of the piece. And then the kiss between the two of them is quite a distinctive moment, right? It's, it really right. kind of, yeah again that was that wasn't written that was uh that was in the moment you know well i think you had a lot of those moments that, that was just in just as we're, we're blocking it out Right. And I think, like I said, whether scripted or not, some of those moments, just the line about the uniform and uniform doesn't mean anything and how it kind of relates back. And you see the, the foreshadowing of that afterwards. I think it was just a lot of great techniques all done in both the storytelling of the writing of it and in the directing. So well done on all of you. Thank you. Talk about the diversity. I mean, finding this cast was it was the was the diversity. I'm sure was baked into the script. Did you kind of pick how you wanted the diversity to be shown? Um, did it depend on the actors you had coming in, or how did that kind of come to play in the film? Yeah, I mean, initially the family was African, um, and then African American, and then Asian. Um, so, but, you know, I mean, I like to have different, I, I, I like to have diverse cast regardless of the movie I'm making. You know, it's so, it's it's just interesting to me, different cultures, different nationalities, you know. So, 
um I, that's important to me even with this next movie i'm doing it'll be you know american british uh african and that's interesting so just it just creates a flavor mm -hmm. but the the themes of this movie you know the political the racial it yeah the, the it was pretty potent and uh so it was important that um when it came to say the chinese family i very much started with crystal who's chinese and she moved to london when she was 11 so i trusted in crystal's interpretation of all the family values and the, you know her spiritual practices the loy family you know um so a lot of that came from crystal and uh just to be authentic with that and then regarding the 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 reynolds family the puritanical christian mm. that i was very aware of um so uh it, it you know you can very much find that in ireland or the uk as you can in pockets of the united states that sort of like heavy christian somewhat puritanical well in the case of the life uh, the reynolds family very puritanical god fearing as they say people right. so yeah well there's such a there was such establishing shots. I mean, you, you get hooked from the very beginning when uh, they're talking to the, the father, but then you really see the character evolve. I think the uh, scene in the little uh, town grocery store was was amazing and chilling. You kind of see, it's like, go ahead and give him the candy, but then you kind of, it kind of comes full circle to, to really his evilness. I think those were just some very delicately and wonderfully shot scenes. Thank you. Yeah. Now um, talk about the heartbeat and the sound for it. I mean, the heartbeat is such a big part of the soundtrack. It really adds some tension and it adds, it moves the plot along. Talk about how music works in your film. I thought your, your music's been very strong in all three of your films. When I watched the other two, talk about how that sound design comes into play for you. Well, the sound of, I mean, I find that I get to make the movie again with the sound, both sound design and music it's how it sounds is is important to how it looks you know so right. um with with sunrise we got a classical composer from the region his name is um andrew um who was classically trained he brought in some classical elements i think he's done a really good job my previous two movies had um a London composer who was an artist who was a uh, like a um, what you call it um, how would you describe Ben's music it was like uh, it was very contemporary um, okay uh, so it was techno you know it was very very, very contemporary so Andrew Andrew Simon McAllister's music was very different, you know, very classical. And that's what right. I, you know, 
same as the cinematography on this is very classical, very composed. Um, that's what I wanted. And it's a very different approach to say one way. Um, so, um, and you want, I wanted that, that the, the vistas, you know, I wanted the, op, you know, the great orchestral pieces for the vistas. And I wanted the, very subtle, delicate pieces for the for the intense kind of personal family dramas and tragedies or whatever, the emotional stuff. The sound, again, as I said, all the, the different layers of sound design, when it's the animals, the creatures, the forest, the wind, the also even with ADR, we can change things, you know, where it's not just if an actor doesn't deliver quite the way we wanted, it's sometimes just to change it for an edit, you know, um, in terms of like, you know, it's like to give new information that we need. Um, and um, I love building the sound design. And it's, it's, it's a what, I just love it. It's it, the sound design is so integral. Um, each piece of filmmaking, each layer, <laughs> it's it's like cooking. It's like building a house. It's like every layer. If you mess up the plumbing, you're screwed. If you mess up the painting, you're screwed. If you don't do the plan, you know, every piece has to be done with the same amount of attention to the detail as the last, you know, and then it grow. It, it just it's wonderful to see it all come together and to see it's just a one it's a, it's such a it's such a privilege to get to do these to make these films you know uh it really is i mean making the movies are easy i mean it's relative it's an e it's easy and it's a joy and i'm talking about in the mud you got 20 minutes left to do a page <laughs> of dialogue easy that's easy what's difficult is putting them together you know is putting those mm -hmm. elements together and to get that train out of the station, that can be precarious. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of time constraint, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the difficulty lies, you know? Um, and then talking about them like we are now or when they get released, that's all a pleasure, you know? But, but in saying that, you've got to stay focused on each element. It's a real marathon making films versus like, say, I come from commercials and music videos. And it, well, to say I come from that, I did that for a long time, but I, I did initially come from films as well. But it takes a lot of focus and um, consistency all the way through the process because you're the director, you're the filmmaker. And it's very particularly then if you're if you're into another movie right. you can lose focus you know and it's very important that you stay completely focused on the job at hand with the current movie because every part of the process is vital and the music is one of the final pieces and then the final mix of the music and the sound it's it's crucial and with this movie i was back in la and i did the, the this final mix here uh, oh. virtually to Northern Ireland where we did all the well we did most of the posts in Northern Ireland we did well we used the facility in LA to uh, check things you know Sugar Studios who are great 
Yellow Moon did all the post in Northern Ireland, uh, did a great job as well. So um, this movie is, is 95% Northern Irish talent people. I saw that, and you talk about the cinematography, which was absolutely amazing with the use of the fog and the smoke. Was that natural to Northern Ireland? Did you have to make a lot of that yourself? Because it really helps set the mood as much as the music does. Also, the look um, with very much that fog and kind of the low clouds brought a lot of feel to it as well. Were you lucky in that, or did you have to create that? Well, everything gets designed, but... Um... You know, so I brought a great DP from New York. He's Slovakian. I'd worked with him on music videos before, Ivan Abel. So he was brilliant. And um, I had a local production designer, Ashley Jeffers, who's a really great designer. And then, you know, I found this great forest called Gorton Glen, which is full of these Californian, not redwoods, but I don't know what the trees are. It looks straight out of the Pacific Northwest. So I grounded the whole movie in that forest, put the town in the middle of it. Um, and uh, all the all the smoke and the fog is in camera. It's not natural, but it's in camera. We created it in camera. There's very little visual effects plates on smoke or fog or anything like that. There's not a lot of, there's very few visual effects in the movie. So, um, so that was all I like to do as much as possible in camera because then right. it feels much more real. Um, and we had local physical effects unit. Uh, and he was great. This, the, lead, the lead guy on that, Frankie, was great. And um, smoke is an art form for movies. You know, people can it really mess is. it up. Yeah, it totally is. It's like. It's like painting with smoke is the same as painting with light. You know, it's like it's it's an atmosphere and you have to control it in a certain way. And if you're out in the elements, it's, you know, I have to say the guy on on Sunrise was great. And the guy, the team on my previous movie, One Way in Georgia, was very good as well. I love atmosphere. Um, I love fog. It, it's just it adds a certain dreaminess to it. It just. I don't know. There's something about it that just um, really captures the environment. The next movie I'm doing, it's all sunshine and heat and sweat, <laughs> and, uh, blue skies and water. And um, it's a very different kind of movie. Much it more. Sounds... Yeah, it's yeah. I think Sunrise completes a kind of a trilogy of dark, moody, brooding movies um and themes so now i'm moving into a more expanded commercial kind of zone this oh, next one is called Cape point yeah that's great i mean and like you said earlier you are such a great uh finder of characters and character driven i mean cast i was expecting uh travis famel to just kind of come in as a cameo at any time you picked some great <laughs> actors there um i was I was so pleasant to see Colson's performance in one way. Um, I had, I'm not a, 
that kind of music fan and everything, but I saw him in dirt because I kind of have a connection to Tommy Lee. He grew up in my neighborhood. We knew each other a bit. And so I, I wanted to see that film. And I was, that was my first kind of introduction to Colson and seeing him carry that carry one way was amazing. But then you have people like Kurt Yeager with this and you have Alex and they signed on as executive producers. I think that shows a huge part of belief and in, in you and in the film to kind of have that. A lot of people can be just actors and hands off no matter what happens. But when you sign on to produce, that's, a, a, I think, a big ringing endorsement of a film. Yeah, for sure. It's great. The act, my actors are my collaborators in a massive way. I could collaborate with everyone. I collaborate. With, I love to collaborate. You know, it's um, that's what this is all about. But but movies require a leader and I'm a good leader um, sometimes. And it's a driver. you got to be the driver as well. And sometimes it can be annoying, as my partners say, but <laughs> but I'm the lead. I'm the driver. So here comes Andrew again. And sometimes you just, oh, can someone else just drive this, you know? But in the end, if you're the filmmaker, you know, a film, a film mostly gets made by one filmmaker, you know, in terms of like one vision. And it's like, then you've got all these collaborators and all these people come with all these great ideas and it, it's wonderful. And you're foolish if you don't embrace all these ideas and, and be open to ideas you know good bad or indifferent and take the good and leave the bad and um that's what it is but you've also got to drive it and you've got to have your singular point of view and then what you're looking for is the right collaborators to complement that but make no mistake films get made by one singular point of view Right. Well said. Well said. I agree 100%. Well, I mean, good, good films, good, good films. When when films are made by committee, they're a disaster. And right. I've been blessed by tremendous amount of support and creative control of the movies I've done so far. And I, to be honest, I don't see another way of doing it, you know. So I always take more control and less resources than less control and more resources because... um. I, I don't know another way to do it. You know, it's like, who who's telling the story here? You know, I mean, <laughs> right. because if you have multiple people telling the story, it's a mess, you know? No, nope. makes exact, perfect sense. I agree a hundred percent. We got to wrap it up here. Cause I know you're, you're talking to a lot of people today. So I want to kind of finish it up. What, uh, what was maybe the biggest challenge and what was maybe the biggest accomplishment you felt this film? I mean, one way you were in that small space, you were in that bus the entire time, you're world building in zone 414. What was the biggest obstacle for Sunrise and what was, your, you think, your biggest achievement for Sunrise? Well, the biggest obstacle was the way it was financed so quickly and it was so precarious because by the time we got Guy and Alex we kind of usually with these independent movies that what well, they get financed within the film markets, you know, whether it's can or AFM, et cetera, et cetera. And we just kind of missed AFM and we had to finance it between, we just had to finance it after AFM and it was, it happened so fast and it was very precarious. So 
resources were 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 tight and but we just it was just a real it was just a real fly by the seat of your pants scenario you know and um (laughs) then you know then on top of it you're trying to create this world this american town and this northern irish region and this other region and that was that was that was tricky particularly when resources were tight um but again you just you just roll with that um so that was the the biggest challenge was just the mentality of like you know we're on shaky financial ground here because we're 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 moving so fast but you just you and as a as a director a filmmaker and i'm i've been um, a producer and executive producer on these movies and I it's how I operate I have to be involved in the production of it I'm aware of all these things and um, it um, allows me then to make very clear um, astute decisions practical decisions that can cut through a lot of nonsense that where we can't afford something or it's going to cost us you know, it's going to cost us resources that we don't need to deploy in a certain area and keep them for another area. And a lot of that is from, I don't know, my background, maybe, as I said, like I was a production designer. I work with many, many directors, very few good ones. And I learned a lot of what not to do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you need to make decisions quickly and efficiently and be and and you need to, as a director, show clarity and, and confidence. And because otherwise people start by like, this, this, they don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, well, if they don't know what they're doing, we don't know what to do. So um, you just, but look, that comes quite naturally to me. And um, um, so that's it, you know? So it's just like the biggest challenge, I think, like often with movies is money and time. Oh yeah, and we had to shoot in a very prudent amount of time as well. Right. No, I bet. Well said. Well, Andrew Baird, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Um, fantastic movie. Well, thanks so much for your time, Scott. Pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure talking to you as well, my friend. See you soon. Hey guys, in the studio today with me, I'm thrilled to have Alex Pettifer with me. He's a remarkable talent in the film industry. Uh, Alex's first work came across my uh, radar when he was in I Am Number Four. Um, fantastic film, and I've been following his career ever since. He's since ventured into directing and producing. His newest endeavor has him co-starring and executive producing on the upcoming film Sunrise, further cementing his multifaceted skill set in the industry. So please welcome Let's Straight Show for the first time, Alex Pettifer. Alex, how are we doing, my friend? I need you as like a, what do, what do they call these uh, people that um, go out and hype man? You, I need you as my hype man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say too much because we don't want to get Annie to hate me here. She's giving uh, me some great interviews. So I don't, <laughs> I don't do this well at all. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Like I said, I first came associated with you with um, I am number four. 
Uh, at the time, this is an LGBTQ podcast for LGBTQ people and straight allies. And at the time, there's such similarities in kind of figuring out who you are and being a different kind of person. It really resonated with a lot of the kids I was working with at the LGBTQ center. So thank you so much for doing that. And that's like carrying a whole film. You were very, um, of course, front and center in, in your teenage years. But what was it like to carry a movie for the first time? With I Am Number Four? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I had done uh, three films before that where I also was the lead. The first kind of film, actually the first kind of thing I ever did was a film called Tom Brown's School Days, where I played Tom Brown. And that uh, was a coming of age story, funny enough, about a young boy um, who went to boarding school in the UK and was uh, badly bullied and kind of had to overcome adversary and and kind of discover who he was. And then the second film was uh, Stormbreaker, right. which is also an identity, a film about identity and, and a young boy who was a spy coming to terms with the reality of his circumstances. So I guess there was a theme as a young man <laughs> <laughs> with the films that I had been, uh, that I had been um, given the opportunity to, to, to be a part of so um yeah i guess that theme thread through for a little longer than i expected well it's very appreciated and like i said it's been great watching uh your talent kind of grow seeing into the directing i mean all of your choices had some great cast members even um back in stormbreaker i am a huge robbie coltrane fan and of course stephen fry i mean uh you've worked with some amazing people going through your big debut, Jennifer Morrison, Once Upon a Time, was one of my favorite shows. So it's like uh, you've worked with some great people. And now you're for your second time with Guy Pierce in Sunrise. Um, talk about this. I mean, this is one of those interesting roles where you don't really have a lot of the lines in this thing, right? You're you're very, it's very quiet. So a lot of your acting is internal. How is this as a challenge to act in again? Um, I think for me, like the protagonist of the film is obviously guy you know and i think that um i think for me uh, the character when i read um, sunrise he had dialogue a lot of it and i spoke to andrew and i said you know um this character's journey is a part of a larger understanding of what this theme of this film is and I said and I kind of would love to create more of an ominous character um, more of a metaphor for something bigger and um, how do you how do you feel if I cut all my lines <laughs> um, and uh, you know that's a huge feat for Andrew the director because obviously you know um, there has to be a a real faith in the story that he's telling through not only the narrative of the visuals, but also the narrative of what he's doing with Guy, because obviously he is, um, quote unquote, in movie terms, the villain. But if you sympathize with this man of, you know, what he's going through with the fear that is running through him, then also obviously this uh, family that has dealt with the loss of their, their um, father and dealing with, you know, um, you know, a hard subject matter, um, you know, having this, um, this character be uh, misunderstood 
was something that I really wanted to create. And I think where you um, have a, uh, a character that's misunderstood, the less that they say throughout this film and the more it is about the action that they portray, I, I thought was a more powerful note. So um, kudos to Andrew for allowing <laughs> <laughs> allowing me to do that. Um, yeah. Well, it was an amazing role for you, my friend. You did it fantastic. I guess you you had to be, it's just kind of funny you say that because Andrew was saying, I talked to him the other day. He was saying, yeah, he thought you're going to become this bushy beard and you came in clean shaven. So you were giving him challenges left, right, and second, my friend. That's so funny. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, 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 technically the character had, goes through this without giving too much away, he, he is a policeman, you know? Do you, right. do, you actually, do you want to actually see something funny? The watch I wear in the movie, I'm wearing right now. <laughs> really? That's awesome. I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I don't know, just, just to add on to that, is that, he, you know, he is a policeman um, in this uh, ominous town. And so being clean shaven and kind of, you know, wearing a like you know i um said i want to wear something that kind of reminds me of the time of when i was in the force and you know he doesn't have this big bushy beard because i didn't want to give this um timeline away of how long he had um you know how long time had passed since an event that happened for him and the right. the movie so yeah just creating like little mysteries should we say along the way I think you did some great choices in there. How you've gone through so much of your career now. I mean, Backroad was an amazing directorial debut. You've now have your own production company, your executive producing things. How easy it is for you now to kind of switch hats like that? Go from actor to director to you to producer. Do you do you think this all the time in your head? Or how are you able to compartmentalize all that? Uh well, Dark Dreams Entertainment. <laughs> there you go. Uh no, we, um, I think we care about just telling stories, like um, stories that intrigue us as a team. And we're really, really blessed that we've been given these opportunities to be able to make um, movies that we care about. Sunrise being one of them. Sunrise is a Dark Dreams film. Uh, and collaborating with great talent like Guy Pearce and... Um, I think at the end of the day, the key for us as a company and the key for me is working with people that uh, not only inspire me, but uh, help me to grow and learn and, and collaborate with, you know? Um, yeah, so. I love that. And then the the genre, I mean, horror means so many different things to so many different people. And this has that kind of a, it's a vampire's tale is how it's described, but it's done so methodically. And I was talking to Anjo. I love the way you don't really even notice anything. I didn't even notice what it was exactly into the sunlight thing. And that's such a subtle way to portray this. Um, what was it like to kind of go into this genre? Well, I said to Andrew, I'm not making a vampire movie <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like i'm making a vampire movie where there's fangs and this and that i was like um and you know we shot in um we shot in northern ireland um right. and there's like a lot of methodical elements to being there and the you know the setting and um you know yes okay there are themes if you want to play into the 
publicizing of a film, the vampire elements. But um, but really, it's a it's a it's a psychological thriller, and it's a it's a it's a family drama. It's about a family struggling with their circumstances, and um, and there's a beautiful grounding to that, you know. Um, and these mystical elements are just a, a another layer that add on to a really um, visually beautiful film with a lot of subtle um, metaphors, you know. Right. Well, I know you got a lot of press going for this, so I appreciate your time. Uh, last thing I'll ask here is talk about to me what um, what you kind of hope that your that the viewers will take away from this. Like you said, it's this great psychological. I think it's just amazing the way with your last words. I mean, the scariest scene for me was when you were kind of confronting the mother. That was just such so well done, and not even any words in that. What was one of your favorite scenes to film? I think my favorite uh, scene to film is um, I'm chopping wood and um, I can't even remember. Yeah, I am. So I shot this a year ago. So the son, let's say the son comes back um, uh, who has just gone through um, an incident where, you know, he's um, been privy to some form of bullying and um, you know, we have this conversation about kind of identity and about, you know, who we are as people. And, um, you know, there's uh, this beautiful uh, phrase, this too shall pass, you know, and as the sun rises and sets, the darkness comes and goes, you know, and we will always uh, project through these hard times, you know. And uh, it's important not to attach to the good times and it's important to not attach to the bad times, you know, and just have a healthy uh, onlook um, onto life's journey. And um, even though this uh, this conversation is very subtle uh, between between both characters, it's a really beautiful, um, it has a really beautiful deeper meaning to, to, to the film and to life, you know. Great words to end on, my friend. Alex Pettifer, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know you have a very busy day ahead of you. Guys, get out and see Sunrise now. It's going to be streaming and out in theaters near you. Sir, thank you so much. I hope to see you again in a future project. Have a great afternoon, okay? Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Kurt Yeager is here in studio with me, an accomplished actor, disability advocate, and passionate motorcycle enthusiast. Kurt has captivated audiences with dynamic roles in advocacy work. Known for his recurring role as Greg the Peg in the acclaimed FX series Sons of Anarchy. And of course, you all know my favorite series, NCIS, where he's contributed to each incarnation of the franchise. Kurt's journey in both his personal and professional life is nothing short of remarkable. He signed on as both actor and executive producer in the new Andrew Baird film Sunrise coming out now. I can't wait to talk to him about all of this and more. Please welcome Kurt. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thank you for the show. Appreciate it, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time, my friend. I'm so yeah. excited to talk to you. I kind of know you peripherally. I'm a huge NCIS fan. I was yes. really pissed off what you did to Danielle and Kenzie. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we were not on speaking terms for a while, but I'm over it now. So I know, I know. We're, 
we're, we're, we're, uh, we're friends. Danny and I are friends in real life. So, you know, we're, we're actually okay. But everyone was like, oh, I can't believe you were going to take her away from, uh, uh, from Deeks and you were making a legitimate like love interest. And then the audience, I guess, was so mad about that, that the writers were like, we probably should make Kurt a bad guy. And then they, they so bad. You helped, you helped was... form the plot of the show. You, you informed yeah. the rest of the show. I like that. It was great. Now I said the first four incarnations. Are you heading to Sydney anytime soon? I don't know. Maybe we can all make that happen today. Oh, there you go. Fingers crossed. I will put out the feelers, my friend. Yeah. I'd love well, to. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm excited to talk to you. I'm about 10 years older than you, but I grew up on dirt bikes. Um, yeah. I ended up becoming friends with the friends of Bruce Penhall, who did speedway racing. So I love the motorcycle. I've always been a chubby guy, couldn't do the bikes. That was too much pedaling for me, but I'm good on the motorcycles. <laughs> so uh it's kind of great to talk to you about yeah. that. And uh after you your story, up? watching that amazing waiting all night from rudimental. Oh, I mean, yeah, such a yeah. story, my friend. I'm so so impressed thank with everything you. you've done and congratulations on all this thank you very i mean I, I grew up like you on on dirt bikes and just playing around so like the idea was just trying to figure out the uh having fun and playing and you know figuring out life along the way but wh where did you grow up I was not too far from you. I actually grew up in West Covina, California. So okay, I was there. Cool. We would go up into Azusa yeah. Canyon and ride yeah. there a lot. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Irwindale. So yeah. So you Lots get a lot of fun. of fun riding motorcycles and you learn like riding motorcycles, you know, you crash and you get back up and that's the only way to keep learning and getting better. And that's a great analogy for life. Like that's a great, you know, like, okay, how many mistakes can I make? Well, it's okay. As long as you learn and go forward. Like, Right. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I mean, and I thought of you too. I, I heard something uh, last month that's kind of become my motto now, and it very much encompasses you. I, um, they said something like, um, you don't really learn anything from your successes, right? You need right. to, you need to fail in order to move forward and everything. So success is great to have, but you haven't really learned anything from the experience right. too much. Right. Right? I say, I say like failure is the process of success. Like you, you have to fail. I mean, think about a baby walking. That's something as simple as that. The baby doesn't take a step and fall down or go right onto its, you know, butt and go, oh, that's it. Forget it. Forget it. And we, but we as adults forget that because we get our emotions wrapped up in it. We get like what other people think of us and just like, you have to fail. You have to fail left and right in order to figure it out. So do more. I bet. No, that's a great motto. Like I said, I'm trying to live by that more and just not being afraid of failure. We're always kind of afraid of it. But when you take it as a learning experience, I think yeah. you can only move forward exactly like you said. So, yeah, yeah. And some of them are, you know, harder than others. <laughs> <laughs> True. True that for sure. Well, talk about you didn't start acting until after your accident. You had this motorcycle accident for those that don't yeah. know, um, lost part of your left leg below the knee there. What kind of, of all the things while you're sitting there and healing, what made you think acting was going to be the way you wanted to go? It was, it was actually an interesting story. Um, like before that, I did some stunts, you know, like I rode BMX professionally. So right. I did that for many, many years. And I did a few stunts for some shows and some projects. And I did this like thing called uh, Rocket Power Live, which was a live version of like a Nickelodeon show that they did way back in the day. <clears throat> and then, you know, it was it, to me, it was for, you know, acting and performing and frankly, emotions were for those people, for other, <laughs> I, other, I othered myself down, right? Like, you know, gotcha. I, gotcha. I didn't really think it could be me, you know, even the beginning of our conversation, you know, 
face for radio or it's like <laughs> no don't other yourself down and and i think that being in a hospital for three months and then recovery for another year really makes you go okay life's precious why am i afraid of something why why am i not doing what i would like to do so i've chosen these other things and and it just dawned on me maybe i should in a small conversation with my buddy kai um and he was like, oh, you should, you should totally pursue this. And I was like, that's a horrible idea. Like, well, that's, I can't, I, that's not me. And so he took my photo and sent it in for a casting call for a movie that I thought was ridiculous. I read these lines. I learned a little bit of Farsi in order to say the lines because I had a big beard at the time. You know, I let it grow out for like six months because I was like, who cares? Um, and then I got cast in it and I came down and I was working with Tom Hanks and Amy Adams and Charlie Wilson's work. Right. And I'm like, working and mike nichols took me aside he's like how long have you been acting and i was like today and he's like, you're incredible you're a truth teller and i was like is that acting he's like most of it he's like if you're a truth teller that's all it is. like it's showing up and being truthful finding the truth in every character in the story and how and then and then it reverse engineers it because you have to find truth in you you know what i mean like if you're lying to yourself when you go on camera that, that's an extension of a lie and it's like you have to be more truthful. So it's like a weird, like long-term psychological, like counseling session, you know, that sort of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, um, this show is primarily for an LGBTQ audience and our straight allies and everything. And we've been, we always like to say we've been acting our entire lives until we come out. Right. So yeah, <laughs> you, you're learning to fake it until you make it, but yeah. you must have well, such I, a I natural ability. That's Fran amazing. Yeah. I was born and raised in San Francisco. So is you know my hometown is where everything began well the the, the harvey milks and everything else so yeah there you go well i i just think it's amazing i mean your story like did you send that music video to jeremy renner i mean you were jeremy renner og yeah i mean yeah, uh, just I amazing Wait. what you went through that how you can recover from all these multiple injuries you had now he has all these multiple injuries and i saw him on christmas time jogging up and down his driveway you guys are just yeah. like so inspirational yeah i mean it's it's crazy because you know that music video came about by people reaching out and wanting to do that and then i got you know it has i don't remember now what is it like 150 million views or something 200 Something, million views yeah, it's over that yeah. I, I don't even I don't even know what it's at now I mean you could totally look but you know I get so many messages and so many wonderful things from that and everyone is saying it's inspirational and and it's almost like you know when you're in it you don't realize it's important you're just in it you're like figuring it out and then everyone looking at it from the outside is like oh my gosh go it's like being in a race Right. You're watching the race car drivers or maybe like a runner, you know, and you're like, yeah, go. And you're excited for them. And you're like, we're all excited in the person in the race. is just, <laughs> you know, like they don't realize that's what it looks like. Right. They just did it. So it's just a different like take on it. You're like, well, what other choice did I have than to be inspirational, which was just quit. It, it, like I didn't have that option mm -hmm. in my mind. I was like, well, I can't, right. I can't quit. And if I'm not going to quit, I might as well do the best I can. And if I'm going to do the best I can, I might as well give it my all and see where it goes. 
you know, I mean, and then you pay it forward after that. I mean, your advocacy is out of this world. I think it's so important. You've done some great work in the film industry. Uh, like I said, relating it back to the LGBTQ industry, the people of color, um, women, there's always a minority group that's kind of fighting to get a voice. And you provided that voice for so many actors. Talk about that. What are some misconceptions you've tried to overcome within the industry about working with disabled actors? Um, I mean, there's there's disability like advocacy and then there's regular advocacy. And I think they have like crossing overs. And one thing that I try to advocate for is, you know, what I would call authentic representation as opposed to like just kind of putting a button on the end of it. It's like when, when you know, you're looking for, let's say, a disability and you want it on camera. Right. And this applies to everything. But it's like, are you having a producer, director, writer, casting director, and agent who are all able-bodied considering what a good role is. And then it gets to the disabled actor and they're like, yeah, this is horrible. Mm. Where like authentic representation is, you know, write a really good character. And then if there's nothing that's impeding that character's ability, have a person with a disability playing that character. It's like, okay, like, like let's just say gay. What's what's a gay guy? What's a gay character? Well, I mean, like I said, San Francisco. So I know there's bears and wolves and otters and all the different types, right? There's right. more like, you know, flaming ones and less. And there's more like the muted ones. And then there's ones that you would never know. And you're like, whoa, and all over the place. And so what do we see on TV, right? That almost the same type over and over. And you're like, no, there's, where's me? Where's, where's the guy who likes working on a motorcycle who's gay? Right. You know what I mean? Like, okay, where's that guy? Where you see what I'm saying? And so there's like a prototypical uh inclusion, but there's not a non-prototypical inclusion. And that's what I try and look for is like where's the difference? So with disabilities, you think, oh, you know, if it doesn't say character uses a wheelchair, we're not gonna cast a wheelchair using actor. Mm-hmm. Where let's say the role is, uh, I mean, you can name a hundred different professions, but let's just say mom. What? There are moms who are wheelchair users. There's right. nothing in it that said that she's, you know, living in a certain house. Is the house on like stilts? Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, cause if it was that house then would have a ramp. So it would be normal. So does she have kids? Well, that wheelchair doesn't exclude a woman from having kids. Like they have kids. Then they're married and they have successful jobs. What kind of a job? Well, secretary, nurse, doctor, lawyer. But you see all like, oh, no, she's disabled. She's a wheelchair user. So that's the totality of her character. Like gay is the totality of your character. It's like that's just an orientation of one part of my existence. There's the other parts, like all the things in your background, like you collect knickknacks and you like antiques. You're right. Like you're like, what about that? Very well said. All right, well, let's get into this movie before Amy kind of shoots me over the air here because I want to talk <laughs> about the movie here. Um, I think it's amazing when an actor will put his stamp on his executive producer because that's, I mean, as an actor, you can say, well, the film was this, but when you put your stamp on his executive producer, I think it really shows uh, a belief in the film. Talk about that process, what drew you to it as both an actor and to put your name on it as a producer. Yeah, as an actor, it's really interesting because the character is a little bit different than characters I play because he's not the leading guy. And and I don't mean that in, um, like, even if 
he's three in one, two, and three on the call sheet, right? Like, let's say that he was subjugated by both characters. And I never get to play a character who's strong, but weak at the same time, right? Like right. who's like, not just like aggressive, ah, like oh, I got muscles I can take down here, right? <laughs> like something, something different. And, and then as, you know, a producer, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different factors. Is the script good? Do you like the director? Do you like the vision? Is the money gonna be good, right? Like all of these right. different factors, where are we filming? Who's the crew? What producers do I want to work with for the next year and a half? Because that's how long you're going to be dealing with people on one particular project minimum. Right. So you got to think about like what kind of characters you want to be around, right? And I don't mean like actors, I mean characters, because everyone's a character. <laughs> so true, like you're true. like, okay, like like Jib, one of the producers, is just absolutely amazing guy. And so is Martin, who's over in uh and Janine. She's they're both great people who are filmmakers in Ireland. And they're lovely people and filming in Ireland, Northern Ireland is wonderful and the people are wonderful. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna have a great time with a great crew, like from um, uh, Ivan or Carl, who are uh, the camera crew, you know, um, to Andrew being the director, to, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the guys, Sean, who is the, uh, the, one of the drivers, like just driving with someone for an hour every day, both directions, right. you, you have to have good people around you or you're like, why am I doing this for this many months? horrible i love that exactly well you hit on something too i wanted to talk about i mean this movie fear is one of the main themes of it right and i think yeah. you had such a great you you had to you had to show the fear because you have people coming at you on both sides like i said you had alex's character coming you had um the other character coming from you you had a guy's character coming from you so but you were the sheriff right you are you are a pillar in this community so i think you used your eyes your mannerism you that was had to be a kind of a, a hard or a fun acting challenge for you as well yeah yeah it's it's interesting that character you know you have to be strong enough and weak enough all at the same time so what i took was sort of a character who is powerful but doesn't know it and like the thing i was talking about earlier is you know a lot of our belief systems comes from our childhood experiences and let's just say that this guy was my character was um let's say the smaller kid and was beat up a lot so he right. always interpreted himself as the smaller kid then as he grew up, he was bigger than everyone else, but doesn't see it. So he's internally the smaller kid, even though he has a dominant larger presence than everybody. He doesn't know he could just reach out and snap somebody's neck. He's like, <laughs> oh, no, now I'm, ba I'm back where I'm at. Like someone who's this tall is, is four foot above him. It's just that emotional like baggage I wanted to put into the character. And the only person that he opens himself up to is the mom. You see, he like right. asks questions really you see that little child like come out everyone else he's like i don't know i don't like you and the mommy's like really what word no i don't know the word you know and it's like just a little sweeter i said it to you alex know? and andrew oh. she was the scariest character of the entire film to me i mean just her steeliness was just and her yeah. sense of purpose that was yeah. she was scary character. yeah Ooh. it was great to work with Baldwin. she's great i bet fantastic I love that. What do you hope that audiences will take away from the film in general and your character, your portrayal? 
uh, the film, I want them just to have a good time and enjoy film and everyone go like, that was fun. I'm glad I watched it. Okay, cool. Really beautiful visuals, nice stuff. But that there's a dynamic range of characters that are in the project that don't seem like they're just stuck there, right? Like you believe that each of these characters is associated with one another at some capacity. Um, right. But then also that, you know, the point of the film is that the, the, the idea of fear ripping the lives of all of these people apart if you let fear in whether it's fear of others like fear of ret ret retribution fear by dominance like it's just like don't have fear like fear of failure like we talked in the beginning like don't have fear of failure because then you failed because now you're not trying it's the right. fear that really really will get you down the fear of being wrong of looking in the mirror like how hard is it to look in the mirror all the way like deep down, you're like, oh, love that. we all are like that at some point, you know, at some column, right? <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. That's I guess, awesome. I guess it's fear. Don't let it own you. Such a great takeaway from that. I love that. Well, we got to start wrapping it up here. I know you're real busy with press today, but I want to talk about how are you? You've been so busy. You have so many projects on the burner. You've been working so much lately. How do you find a balance in your passion for acting and for your advocacy and time for motorcycle and motocross riding? And congratulations on being married. Which is she most afraid of when you Thank when you. you get out there in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, I, I mean, she's she's over over there right now. Uh, <laughs> she's the best. She's the best. That's it. Don't don't say it. Don't tell her. She doesn't need to know that. She's smiling. Um, no, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't really find a good balance. You know, I really don't like, I, I work really hard, I, but here's the thing is I love it. So maybe it's an unhealthy addiction, but I would prefer to do this 16 hours a day than anything else. You need breaks here and there, but at the same time, it's so addicting. And so, um, and here's why it's addicting, not because it's good to me because it's hard. That's the addicting thing to me. So I would say that I probably need to have a better, healthier work-life balance. <laughs> I have kitties and we go on a motorcycle ride and I play disc golf and things like that. But she's always yelling at me. You got to make memories with me. We're always just working. And I'm like, I know, I know. I'm sorry. So that's something I got to work on. I think so it's something we all got to work. Work-life balance is difficult, my friend. Hard. So, Especially, uh, you know, you. when like the prices are rising and everything's rising, you're like, my money's not going as far as it used to. Like, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I tell you, it's crazy. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with you. You've produced, you've acted, you've done some writing. I loved your little beer series. That was kind of hilarious. I watched about uh, 12 of those little mini videos. Have you, uh, cool, what cool. is the next Thank thing you. that you're going to actually create for yourself? Have you thought about writing, producing, and creating your own project yeah. that combines anything together? Or tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wrote a couple of features, one that landed on the blacklist. So it's like the better unproduced feature films of the of the year. Um. And then I developed a project that Sony optioned. Um, and so we're going to be taking that out this next couple of months. Um, and that one's called The Roach. It's based off of uh, Rhett Bruno's book, The Roach. Um, and I have like four other projects in development with showrunners. But it's hard. Like, I mean, there's a combination of, you know, the Catch-22 is if you're not big enough yet to tentpole that, then you can't tentpole the thing that'll make you big enough. Well, yeah, 
you know, but you know, like it's, it's support and people pushing for it. Um, that'll make it happen. And, and that, I think that poor light life work balance. <laughs> I think Once you I are there, hitched like, to a star, my friend. I appreciate you. Kurt Yeager. Thanks for taking the time to come on the left of straight show. The new movie sunrise is streaming and yeah. in theaters this week. Thank you for your time, my friend. We have to talk again sometime. Um, I hope you get to Australia, yeah. friends. Yes, because like I said, I've, I've loved all your work on that. Hey, man, make a phone call from your mouth to God's ears, right? Like, there you go. I'll, I'll do what I can for you. You have a great rest of the afternoon press day. I appreciate you so much, and we'll talk to you later, okay? All right. Take care, Scott. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.